great movie. Has anybody, who has not seen that movie? Passion of the Christ. No, no. Too graphic? I know, I remember seeing that and uh, when it first came out. And the first time I saw it, I was in tears. I admit it. I, you know, I was just bawling through the whole thing. Because it's so powerful. So, uh, probably the most historically accurate film I've ever seen when it comes to the crucifixion of Christ. Um, but I love the end. And there's rumor that they're going to make a part two that's going to continue on after the resurrection and talk about some of that. So if that's true, I've been looking forward to seeing that. But good morning. Happy Resurrection Day. Good to see everybody. Yeah, so uh, there was a book that we were handing out, and, and it's called The Case for Easter. If you have not gotten one, they're in the back. Um, and John right there is going to grab some. Oh, he's going to show me. Okay. Thank you, sir. You can just model it for me and just walk around. There you go. Uh, if you have not gotten one of these, please get one. This is our gift for you for coming uh, to visit us on Easter Sunday. And um, they're in the back, and there'll be some at both doors. Um, we have plenty to go around, so please pick up one and, uh, and read through it and share it. It's a great book. It's written by Lee Strobel, who is an atheist turned Christian. Um, he was an investigative reporter that uh, started investigating the claims of Christ. And he, uh, through his investigation, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. So he writes a few books called The Case of Christ, Case of Easter, and so on and so forth. So this is one of his books. Uh, so please pick one up. They're yours. Um, again, I, I'm, good to, I'm glad to see everybody here. Uh, we are on uh, one of the best holidays throughout the year, the Resurrection Sunday. And, uh, you know, as we were watching that video, I was reminded about uh, different, uh, there's different movie or TV shows and uh, documentaries that go on around this time of year. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that, like, when this first came out, there was a ton of documentaries talking about the crucifixion, about uh, the resurrection, all kinds of stuff. Um, as a matter of fact, there's all these networks that had miniseries, um, CNN, History Channel, BBC, Smithsonian Institute, National Geographic, all had documentaries um, showing uh, different parts of Christianity and, and, and trying to, uh, some are trying to debunk it, some of it's trying to um, excuse certain things away. Um, for example, one of them was, uh, did Jesus really die, or G did Jesus die? That was done by BBC. That was in 2007, which explored um, this, the idea of resurrection. Could it be possible? Another one is In Search of Easter, a 2004 documentary by National Geographic. Uh, Resurrection, A Search for Answers. This documentary is about Jesus. Um, this documentary about Jesus asks the tough questions, did Jesus really die? Which is actually a controversy that was going on even back to the biblical times. Um, but I can, we, if you ever have that question, come see me because I can show you where that is not true. Uh, he did die on the cross. Um, Jesus, The Missing History. Uh, it was a 2008 documentary from the Discovery Channel. And, of course, uh, Secrets of the Cross was a four-part series. And those are just a few. And some of those you probably haven't even heard of. There's tons more out there. And they're all trying to discuss the resurrection, trying to discuss the, uh, the crucifixion. Um, and it's interesting. When people try to debunk Christianity or they try to, to uh, uh, go after attack the Christian faith, they always go right to the resurrection. They go right to it. Most of them will even acknowledge that Jesus existed, but it's the resurrection that they have a problem with. That's where they go to. Um, even back in Jesus' time, there's the political group called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They did not believe it, so they rebuked that, and they didn't become Christian because of it. 
Um, antagonists all around today they uh, attack Christianity and uh, they know that the resurrection the thing that we celebrate today uh, the resurrection is vital to our faith it's, that is central to our faith and if, we, and if they can destroy the resurrection they, they can destroy the Christian faith and that's what they think Many people who attack the historicity, which is the historical authenticity of the scriptures or historical authenticity of the resurrection, do so from a belief of what they call a presupposition, which means I go into things with certain beliefs already in place, and then I try to explain whatever it is we're looking at. For example, you take an atheist scientist. A typical atheist does not believe in supernatural happenings. They don't believe in the supernatural. So if I'm an atheist scientist, and I go into looking at the earth, and I say, okay, I want to try to explain the origin of earth, I'm going in there with certain ideas already. So because I don't believe in supernatural, I'm going in with a certain attitude already. So then when I go to look at science, I'm excusing, well, it can't be supernatural, so it must be evolution. So I don't even bother looking at other possibilities. I only look at evolution. So when, you ha- when that happens, that's with presuppositions. So when people go to attack the historicity of, of the resurrection, a lot of times they do it from a standpoint of their own perspective. Philip Schaff, uh, a theologian, church uh, historian, wrote these words. The purpose of the historian is not to construct a history from preconceived notions, but to ad- adjust it and to adjust it for his own liking but to reproduce it from the best evidence and to let it speak for itself. A historian is not to look at the resurrection and say, oh, well, I'm just going to construct that based on what I think and then try to explain it away. Josh McDowell is an apologetist. uh, apologist. He uh, defends the Christian faith. And he goes on talking about these people, these historians. He goes on and talks about this. He goes, Many theories have been advanced, attempted to show that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a fraud. I believe that many of the people who come up with these theories must have two brains, one lost and the other one out looking for it. Historians have become anti-historical to invent some of their ideas. So why does it matter? Why, Why does it matter that we even talk about the resurrection? Why does it even matter to the Christian life? If we're, you know, do I have to believe in the resurrection to be a Christian? Do I have to, to, to accept those things? Do I have to believe in the resurrection to, to enter heaven with Christ? Why should I care so much? Tim Keller, a, a pastor up in New York City, wrote these words in his book, The Reason for God. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If you didn't rise from the dead, why worry about anything he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Josh McDowell, in another book, writes this. No matter how devastating our struggles and disappointments and troubles are, they're only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depths of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you, your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. That's what the resurrection promises. One of my favorite theologians and, and uh, speakers um, is a guy named Ravi Zacharias. He blows my mind. Every time I listen to him, he's phenomenal. Um, and he, I always learn something new from this guy. But he says this, outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, 
There is no hope for the world. That cross and resurrection at the core of the gospel is the only hope for humanity. Whether you go, wherever you go, ask God for wisdom on how to get the gospel in, even in the toughest situations in your life. Apart from the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for humanity. Now, these are some people, some men that are alive today that are saying these things. But let's take a look at Scripture. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Peter, a dear friend of Jesus himself, an eyewitness to the accounts, he says the following... Blessed be the, uh, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. That's an exciting sentence. For us celebrating the resurrection day, that is one of the most greatest verses in, in Scripture because there's, it talks about the resurrection and the hope that we have in the future. No wonder it's called the good news. That's why we are enthusiastic on this Easter Sunday, this resurrection day, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just because it's something he did and, oh, okay, that's what the Bible says, let's just come and, and have a nice lunch. No, it's because of who he is and what he did. This resurrection gives us hope for a future. It's so much greater than an Easter Sunday meal. So we're going to break down that sentence, that first Peter, a little closer, and we're going to take a look at it, and we're going to look at why it's important. And because Jesus raised from the dead, the first thing we can learn is that we've been giving a new life. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, he promises me a new life, a new life in him. Now, there's very little new stuff in the world, if you think about it. You know, we have some technology advancements that are pretty cool. You know, I'm preaching from an iPad. I'm, I have, you know, iPhones, and we have all these smartphones. That's all cool, but really, if you think about it, there's a lot of things in the world that are not really that new. We don't have a lot of new stuff. A lot of things are just repackaged, relabeled, and retitled into new names, there's a best-selling book that was out a while back called the, the Secret. Does anybody remember that book, The Secret? It was a best-selling book for many years. Uh, I think it's been out for probably 10 years now. And, uh, and the whole idea of it is supposed to be this positive thinking. But the reviewers, as they were looking at this book, a lot of the reviewers started saying, look, this is not really a secret. This is not new stuff. In fact, a lot of them said that it was the same stuff that Norman Vincent Peale wrote 50 years ago. In his book, Power of Positive Thinking. And it was just a repackaged version of that. Atlanta Journal-Constitution wrote this about the book. And one of, the, one of their critics said, it's really a repackaging and hype that lures a gullible audience seeking a quick fix for its troubles. Now, I've never read the book, so if you, I don't want you to take offense to that. Um, I'm not criticizing it at all. The reason I point that out is because I just find it interesting that, that you, know, you get this really great book, and you look at it, and you, it's a top seller, and it's supposed to be this new thing, and it's a secret, but it's something that's been repackaged over the years. And if you look at uh, Norman Vincent Peale, he, he might have been a, a forefather of Christian positive thinking, but there's also so many people that did it before that. There's nothing new that he even did. See, it's interesting that people believe something new when it really isn't. There's very little in the world that's actually new. But God says he wants to give us a new life. 
a brand new life. He wants us to give a chance to start over, a brand new beginning, a brand new starting point. When we accept Christ, we're a new creation. We are brand spanking new. Simon Peter knew these words firsthand and his, when he experienced this with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' best friends in the inner circle with Jesus. And, Jesus, and he, he saw Jesus die on the cross and resurrect. He saw both ends to things. He knew a lot about change, and he knew that this relationship with Jesus changed him. And he got a new life. And he knew this from personal experience. When, si- when Jesus first met Peter, his name was Simon. And, and he said, you know what, Simon, I'm going to change your name to Peter. Now, Simon in the original language was actually more like pebble. And then when you look at Peter, uh, Cephas, and that word is more rock. So he basically said, you know what, Peter, Simon, you're a pebble, but I see the potential in you. I see what new life you're going to have, and you're going to have, you're going to be a rock. And later on, we see that he was a rock. He basically said, you're a little pebble, and I'm going to mold you. I'm going to transform you into a boulder. I'm going to give you a brand new life, and you're going to be new. You're going to be strong, and you're going to be able to preach the gospel. Jesus was predicting how Simon was going to change because of his friendship with Christ. How is he going to grow? He had so much more potential than just being a pebble. And he was going to be a solid rock in the early church, and that's precisely what he did. If you look at Acts 2 and the first major sermon that was done, the first preaching of the New Testament gospel, when he got up, he preached the gospel, and 3,000 people came to Christ. He was no longer a pebble. He was a rock. Christ knows the potential in you. He knows exactly what kind of potential you have. Not only does he know it, but he has the ability to work in your life and transform it to reach your greatest potential. He has the power to make changes in your life to help you grow in the knowledge of grace of Jesus Christ. He knows how to work in your life. And he's ready and willing to transform you from being a pebble to a rock. He gives new life when you make him a friend because Jesus is all about life. He's not about stuff. He's about life. He cares more about you than he does anything else. Another one of Jesus' followers, John, in first John, John uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, life began by him, referring to Jesus. Jesus' life was the light of men. See, one of the reasons why it matters so much that Jesus is alive is that you and I need somebody to help us. We need somebody to help us reach our greatest potential. We need that the Holy Spirit, we need Jesus to help us grow. We can't do it on our own. We cannot be Christ-like on our own. We need somebody to help us do that. But I'm not talking about some self-help gurus. I'm not talking about this physical things. Yeah, we can, we can lose weight, we can exercise, we can get our finances in order. Some of those things we can do on our own. But what we're talking about is somebody to give you a spiritual life. A life that imparts supernatural power. A life that God is working in. A, God, a life that, that you can see the work of Jesus in there. A transformation. See, when we were little, we, we used to, uh, us boys at least, used to super, uh, think we were Superman. We used to love being like that. We'd get on a, a swing and we would uh, put our, get on our bellies and swing back and forth like we were flying. Uh, anybody know what a hat?
It's like, a, uh, you guys probably call it an ottoman or something. Where I'm from, we call that a hassock. And it's basically where you put your feet up on a reclining chair or something. I used to do that, and I'd put my blanket in my shoulders, and I'd put it down like I had big guns. And uh, I'd put the blanket down like it was a cape. And I used to fantasize about being Superman. I used to think it was cool, being Superman with all these powers. Some of you ladies, maybe you wanted to be uh, uh, Tabitha from, from Bewitched or something. You know, a little twinkle of the nose and the house is clean. Or a little something, you know, maybe Supergirl. Whatever it is, but we fantasize about people with superpowers. But let me tell you something. God has a superpower for us. I don't want you to be bewitched or anything, but I want to tell you about a superpower that isn't available in comic books or TV. These are superpowers that are available to you from God. And one of the greatest things, the biggest things he can do, a superpower they can do is he can transform your life. It's not about having these magical powers. It's about having the ability to change into holiness. God's power in you can help you make positive changes in your life. Changes that, only, that you can't make on your own. The power to give you a brand new life. When the Bible says that you have a brand new life, he's talking about how Christ brings a spiritual life. Before we accept Christ, we're dead to sin. We're dead. We don't understand spiritual things. We can pick up the Bible all day long until we're saved and understand. We won't understand the Bible until we accept Christ. And when God starts working in your life, then you start understanding the Bible because God gives you the power to understand that. We must choose whether or not we want the spiritual life. Jesus said in John 5, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Notice that he says have, has eternal life. It's not a will have or may have or my maybe something. No, he has eternal life. It's a done deal. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's why Christ followers were so excited about the resurrection. We're excited about Easter. We're excited about this day. The moment I said yes to Jesus, I stepped over from being death to life. I have a new beginning. I'm immediately transformed into a new life. I'm immediately transformed in positive ways. If I need to change a specific area in my life, Christ can and will help me. If, I, if I'm filled with envy, he can correct that in my life. He can help me become content. If I'm filled with greed, maybe I'm just keep, keep trying to get more money, more money, more money, and I just want stuff. And I keep going for that, and it's all about that greed and how much I have in the bank, then he can help me with giving. Maybe it's lust. Maybe I'm lusting over things or people. He can give me purity. Maybe it's a fear and anxiety. Maybe you have fear and anxiety in your life, and you need help with it, and he can give you strength and peace. Whatever it is you can battle with, whatever it is you battle with, God can give you the strength to heal from that. I have known friends and family members. I've told this story before. I have a friend that committed murder. He shot a guy, and then he went back and killed him because he was afraid he was going to get caught. Spent 15 years in prison. While he was in prison, he accepted Christ, went on to get a Bible degree, and now he's teaching at a college. Can that, is that a transformed life? Absolutely. Paul was a murderer. He was transformed. Peter was just a fisherman with a foot in his mouth every other day. He, God worked in his life. He, whatever it is that you're dealing with, God can transform you with a relationship with him. He wants that brand new life. He's willing to give you his advice through his word, the Bible. He's willing to coach you. He's willing to be your spiritual trainer. 
And he also wants you to be his friend. See, our American culture is interesting. There's a, a study by the American Sociological Review, and they started looking at the relationships. And there was a study that was done, and it said that the, that the typical American only has two close friendships. Two close friendships. And out of that, that's actually dropped since 1985, where the average in 1985 was three. So the close friendships have actually gone away. In the last 20 years, our circle of friends have gotten smaller and smaller. In the same study, those reporting no confidants at all. So people that they can't confide in, people that they, they don't feel close enough to just pour their heart out to, jump from 10% to 25%. So that means more people actually have less confidence. Confidence. They can't share personal things. 25% of the people around us feel that they have no one to turn to when they have a burden. 25%. Even the share of Americans that reported healthy circle of five, four or five friends had went from 33% in 85 down to 15%. So only 15% of Americans actually have friends that they feel comfortable with and healthy with. 15%. See, you know, no one needs to go without a friend. You know that, that old, what is it, a hymn? I think it's, uh, we have a friend in Jesus. That's so true. Because Jesus is our friend. He loves us enough to be there with us, to teach us, to mold us, to correct us, to discipline us, to love us. Which leads us to the second reason Christ's resurrection means so much. Is that the Bible says that we have everything to live for. It matters that Christ is alive because it gives meaning in our lives. It matters because if you go through your whole life without having purpose, my heart is broken for you. You should be able to find meaning in your life through a relationship with Christ. You've missed something truly wonderful. But be careful because meaning, a meaningful life is not about working long hours. It doesn't mean a busy life. You can, you can work two jobs and be really busy with all these things, and that does not mean that your life is filled with meaning. It's not the same thing as having success or acquiring things. There's nothing wrong with stuff. And the, but the joy that you get from getting that stuff is temporary. When you buy that new TV, it's only temporary. You might be excited for a few days, but then it's just the same old TV. You might like your car, you get a new car, love it for a month or so, but then it's just a car. How many times have we bought something and then a month or two later we're like looking at the next model, the next year's model? Can we find ourselves doing that? Because it doesn't last. If you want something meaningful, this meaningful that's eternal, it's about Christ. Until you understand that you are made by God and for God, life is not going to make complete sense. Let me summarize the Bible in four simple things. Four things that you can remember. You are made by God to have a relationship with him. God knows you, loves you. It's not about religion. It's not about Baptist, Presbyterian, um, Pentecostals, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship with Jesus. He could care less about religious stuff. He's interested in a relationship with you. And you're made by God to have that relationship. Think about the Garden of Eden. He created man and woman to have a relationship with them. But of course, there's a problem, isn't there? Big problems that we're not perfect. And we sinned and we violated that against God. 
and, and we violated our trust with God. And there became this big gap, this violation. We hurt him by sinning against him. Now there's a separation from God. But then God comes down in human form and just loves on us and says, you know what, I love you so much, I'm going to come down, I'm going to take a brutal death that we just saw, I'm going to die on a cross, and something that you couldn't even imagine going through, and I'm going to do that because I love you. That, and I love you so much that I would do it again. Even if you were the only person in the world, I would still do it. He solves that problem. He takes the sin away from us. So then when God looks at us, he looks at Jesus. And the fourth is that you must accept that payment. So here's this wonderful gift, and then you have to accept it. And you have to say, you know what, Lord, okay, I'm yours. I, 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 I want that relationship with you. And when that happens, when you, when you accept the Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you accept him and you accept this gift from him, your life starts changing. It starts transforming and things start happening you have a new joy that you didn't have before. You have purpose and, and hope that you didn't have before. You stop living for yourself and you start living for God. Because that's what we are made for. We weren't made for ourselves. Man doesn't have the answers to everything. God does. There's a lot of people that unnecessarily are fearful of this idea of giving their whole life to God. Because they want control. And, they don't, and then to give this idea of giving my whole life to God, it means I'm out of control and he's in control. But that's where trust comes in. When you start living for God, you'll discover real happiness. You'll start discovering real meaning, real significance. You'll start looking at real purpose and what's really important. Relationships are what's important. And when, when this happens, when you accept Christ and this change starts happening and you start getting this new meaning and new purposes, guess what? You're going to be overwhelmed with joy because of it. Yes, we'll go through dark times. We'll go through hard times. But the joy will be overflowing because through those dark times, God will be there with you. The Bible says this about Christ's death and resurrection gives meaning to our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it'll be up on the screen, it says, If it seems that we are crazy, it is to be, bring glory to God. And if we are in our, own, in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who received his new life will no longer live for him, themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. See, basically God's saying is, you're made to live for him. You're made to live for Jesus. And when we, when we stop living for ourselves, and we start living for him, things change it breaks my heart to see so many people that are just apathetic. Apathetic as in they just don't care. They come to church and they just, huh? It just doesn't care. Do you realize that Jesus died and rose again so we can have freedom in our lives and, and people will just sit there in church and just say, eh, oh well, I don't really want to get involved. I don't want to do anything. They don't even come to Bible studies. Breaks my heart because they're missing out on so much that God has in store for you. We have 
God says that we have everything to live for. And it's in him. Now the third reason that the resurrection matters is that we have a future in heaven and that future starts now. Does anybody remember that TV show Lost? Great show, kind of weird at the end, but, but it was a pretty cool show where some people crashed on an island and they thought it was deserted. Well, one of those episodes, what happened was they would flash between this party and it looked like paradise. You know, everybody's dancing and having fun and eating it up and, and just having a great time, but then they'd flash back to this, this scene where the others, these, apparently these people that were on the island before they crashed were there, and they're stealing children and were being really mean to them and doing all this stuff. And so when that was happening, they would, in the scenes, they would show this paradise, and then all of a sudden, boom, they would show this, this horrible part. And then they'd go back to paradise and went back and forth. Now, I know that's just a TV show, but, but sometimes we get that in our own lives. We have these moments of, of what life seems like paradise, you know, we have, uh, we have some ladies that are, that are going to be having kids in, in our congregation, a baby soon. We have, uh, I, I have a friend named Shelly that just uh, delivered her first child uh, last week. And I saw the pictures on Facebook, and I just remembered my own kids. And I think, wow, you know, this is, this is beautiful. This is paradise. I get to see my kids born. I was at every single one of their births. I, I cut the umbilical cord, cried at every one of them. It's a beautiful, glorious occasion. I look forward to having grandkids. I ask Noah all the time, how many kids are, is he going to have? I'm trying to get him to say 10, 12, because I want lots of grandkids. Don't you guys want lots of grandkids? Heck yeah, I want lots of grandkids in my house. And those are joyous times. But sometimes when we have these joyous times, then the, a week or two later, we're in the middle of the night, waking up at 2 a.m., changing diapers, and that's not so much paradise, is it? It's a little bit harder. Sometimes we go from paradise to hard times. And it could just be just like that. So how can we reconcile this idea that the Bible says here that we're having a future in heaven? In verse 4 in, in Peter, it says we're reserved in heaven for you, a place reserved in heaven for you. But before we go into that verse, I want to look at a, uh, something that Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace he has, we have been saved and raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking here in the present terms. Let me explain this verse a little bit. He's talking about when we accept Christ, it's, it's not like this, okay, there is a future, but there's also a now. See, there's this, this idea, it's already but not yet. In the future, we get to go to heaven, but we get to have that now. Paul's looking at this from this perspective of heaven, from God's perspective. There is no future with God, there's only the presence. He knows every single person in this room who's accepted him and who hasn't. He knows every single person in this room that's going to walk out this door and when you're going to accept Christ, or maybe you won't. He knows all that. He knows it right now. There is no future. There is no past. He knows it all right now. He already knows who's going to be in heaven. And he's already placed a place for you there. When you accept Christ, he has already made a place in heaven for you. So we can sit here right now and we can rejoice. Because when I die... I know where I'm going. When I die, I have no doubt in my mind 
I'll be standing at the feet of Jesus. I know that. Why? Because it says it right there. I've accepted Christ, and I get to rejoice today because of that. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 talks about, uh, don't worry about tomorrow, what you'll wear, what you eat, and, and all these other things. God takes care of all those things. Worry about today only. Just take care of today. The future starts now. In my faith, my trust, in, my, in the death, burial, or resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have complete confidence that heaven is my home. And I get to taste of it now and then when I, when I have a child or, or I get a, a little bit of paradise here or I get a blessing from someone and God gives me a blessing somewhere. I get to taste that, that little bit of heaven. But in my faith is in Christ and one day I'll experience paradise for eternity. So I can start right now and be joyful. And you can start right now and be joyful. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I urge you to make that commitment to him. Make that commitment so then starting right at 30 seconds or a second after you make that commitment, you will be guaranteed a spot in heaven. Why does it matter so much that Jesus is alive or dead? Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, and, Christ has, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope is in Christ, is only for this life, we are, more, uh, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. If, the, if we only believe in Christ's earthly work and not his resurrection, we should be truly pitied. It's the resurrection that brings us to heaven. Let's pray. With everybody's eyes closed, heads down, Keep your eyes closed and heads down. If you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, but you want to make one right now, it's simple. You just say, Lord, I am so sorry for my sins. I repent. I, I just, I'm sorry for that. And I want this gift of eternal life. I want this gift, this free gift. I just want to spend time with you. I want what the preacher's talking about. And if you've, made, and if you've never made that commitment before, and you're willing to make it right now, do me a favor and just slip up your hand. Nobody's going to be looking. Just slip up your hand and let me know if you've made that commitment today. And maybe you've been a Christian, you've been coming to church for a long time, but you just feel like, you know what, I just feel distant from God right now. I just feel like, you know what, I, I, I know I'm saved, but I just don't have that joy and that peace that he's talking about. Maybe you don't have that. Maybe there's some things in your life that you need to to readjust and you need God's help, raise your hand and let me know. Just slip up your hand. Nobody's going to look. If you have things that you want, I see you there. Go ahead. Raise your hand if you need God's help in some area of your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for everybody here and the love that they have for you and coming to Resurrection Sunday. And I hope, Lord, that they, they leave here today just being on fire and joyous for you because of what you've done on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Father God, thank you so much for giving us that hope that is in you and only in you. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. And so thank you so much for loving us enough to come and do this for us. I look forward to the day I get to spend eternity, eternity with you. 
And I hope everybody here joins me. Father God, I ask you to work in the hearts and the minds of everybody here, those that have accepted Christ, that continue to work in their lives, those who have not accepted you, um, continue to, to reveal yourself to them. Father God, thank you so much for this beautiful day. In Jesus' name, amen.